This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. Isn't God good? Amen. Thank you. Amen. All right, I want to bring you a message today with an uh, interesting title, and I just wonder who this would be in your life. My question for you today is we go into our Reset Sermon, and we've had fun with this Reset s- series so far. Uh, a few weeks ago, we started with Reset Your Physical Life this year, okay? Reset Your Physical Life. And so what we were talking about is sometimes when you go on a fast that you fast certain items, and every time you reach for one of those, watch this now, every time you reach for one of those, you go, no, I can't do that because I'm honoring God in my body. In all the years of my pastoring, I've had more people this week send me messages or call me and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I'm dying for a Diet Coke. I don't know why all of them have been Diet Cokes or Coke Zeros. I think there's something addictive in those diet drinks. Come on, amen. But Would you pray for me, Pastor? You know what? It's not a bondage. It's a joy to let God rework our physical life. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. But don't be condemned. You know, I I make Charlie's uh, lunch uh, every day. And and so the other day, Christina was going up that way, so she made his lunch. And so afterwards, he was telling me, you know, I'm hungry, Dad. And and I said, well, what you you have in your lunchbox? And he's going down the list. And we have it just kind of in a bin where you grab, you know, boom, 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 throw it in, and then you make whatever, you know, out of the refrigerator, and then you go from there. Well, Christina wasn't even thinking about it, and she just went down the, the bins, boom, 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 th- threw it in, and she'd put cookies in his, his lunchbox. And he's fasting along with us, no sweets during this time of year. And, and he said, Hannah, yeah, I had this and I had that. Oh, and the cookies were good. And I said, you ate cookies? And he went, oh! I broke the law of the fast. <laughs> I said, it's okay, buddy. You're not going to jail. Come on now, amen. What you do is just reset again. So look, if you haven't gotten started or you got started and you fell back, come on alongside. Then on the other side of that, last week we talked about resetting generosity. That if you've got to live in a way in your finances so that you can be generous with other people. And that's important. Because we showed that generosity comes in through our lives so that grace can flow to our lives. What a blessing that was. And today, I want to make it real spiritual. I want to talk to you on the topic of reset. And here's the question that I have for you in our title today. Our question is this, who is willing to go to jail for you? Can I just tell you what happened in first service? I shouldn't do this. But in first service, I asked the question, who's willing to go to jail for you? And about three couples right over here looked at each other and they said, mm. <laughs> But who in your life is willing to go to jail for you? Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to start reading today. Mark chapter 2, verse number 1 reads like this. And again he entered, and the word there is uh, in, in Hebrew, Kafarnahum. Uh, we would say it in English, we would say Kapernahum, which simply means the town of Nahum. So this is where the prophet Nahum came from, okay? The town of Nahum. After some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. 
Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached, speaking about Jesus, he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, somebody came to Jesus, bringing a paralytic who was carried by how many? How many? Four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, I want you to notice that they had to break through. This wasn't just simply removing something. They had to break through. They let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now, I want to talk to you about something very important and very central to what it means to be part of the body of Christ. But here's what I want you to see. We believe in this house that God has put us together for a reason. I'll say that to you again. We believe that God has put us together for a reason. God brought us into this body for a very distinct and unique reason. Can I tell you that I believe that God may have brought you here because as awkward and strange as your pastor is, God knew he would need a people to put up with that kind of pastor now. Come on now. Amen. But God put us together for a reason. And we have to understand that it's not by mistake that we call each other a church family. It was in God's timing and God's purpose that he's caused us to come together. Now I want you to see what we preach as a central point. And, and without telling him, he didn't know this, but, but this is what I really want to talk with you about today. You are known as his disciples by how you love one another. Now, here's the problem. Most of us want to be known as his disciples by how loud we can praise. Or how loud we say amen. Or how much of the Bible we read. But the Bible says you will be known as his disciples by how you love one another. It, notice this. It doesn't say by how many of you you know of each other. But by how many of you you love of each other. God has not called us to be a church. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know that person. No, God has called us to be a church who loves each other. And loving each other means that you're going to have to get vulnerable with each other. You're going to have to share. I remember the day that I decided it was time to tell Christina that I loved her. I remember that. Because I had been determined in all of those time, the years leading up to that point, even through young years of like elementary school and all that kind of stuff and leading up into high school, those areas, I had been determined not to go out on a date with a girl and look at her and say, I love you. I wanted to tell one person that, the one that I was going to marry. And so she didn't even know how serious that was to me. And imagine the awkwardness of this moment. Okay. If you could possibly imagine me much, much, much skinnier. With an 80s mullet, come on now. <laughs> Business in the front and party in the back. Come on now, man. Imagine that for just a moment. I'm standing there. <laughs> some, you can laugh all you want. You had them too. <laughs> and I'm standing there, and I, I got her by the hand, and, and she doesn't know what I'm trying to say, and I go, you know. She said, what's wrong? I said, well, I... Uh, and somewhere she figured out what I was trying to do. And after about a few more moments of awkwardness, she said, well, if you don't want to say it, don't say it. And I thought, oh, I love you. And that meant I was getting open and vulnerable because what happens after you say I love you? 
Thank God she didn't go, well, (laughs) she said, well, about time. I love you too. And that moment tore down a wall that we were willing then to embrace each other at a heart level. And it began to develop a relationship that led to us getting engaged and getting married and all these years later. But we have to get vulnerable with people in order to love them. If you're going to really benefit from the body of Christ the way that God has called you to, you're going to have to be willing to get vulnerable with each other. We have to create an atmosphere in this church where people can say, I'm not perfect. Where people can say, I struggled this week. Where people can say, my family's messed up. Where somebody doesn't have to feel guilty if their family's not messed up, but instead they start showing love to those whose family is messed up. That we start coming together and we get vulnerable with each other. Because that's the kind of body that God's called us to. And if we're really, really going to serve God, and we're talking about resetting our lives, if we're really going to do that, we're going to have to reset our relationships. We're going to have to decide how important are the people in my life to to me. Do they really matter? Can I just walk away from them in uh, in a moment? Or do they really matter to me? Have the things we've been through together been worth it staying together and redefining our relationships and growing in our relationships? And it's so important. And I want to bring this back around to this passage that we read today. I believe one of the most important things about this passage is this. That this man didn't just have one friend. We're told in life, if you have one good friend, you're you're blessed in life. But this man had four great friends who were willing to leave the master's presence themselves to go and find him and bring him so that his life might be changed. They were willing to put their relationship with him in in a place to where they said, we want to be in right relationship with God, but in order to be right relationship with God, I know I have to be in right relationship with you. And they go get him, and they bring him toward God's house. Now, this wasn't simple. If you've ever been to Kafarnahum there, you'll understand that it's not as wide. The roads are not as wide as this little area up here. They're really about this wide. So imagine these four guys, and I always had this kind of Roman litter picture on my, they had him on their shoulders and they're running down through there, running towards Jesus. No, the Bible says he's in a mat. He's, he's in a blanket almost. And in this blanket, he's all wrapped up and he's walking, uh, or they're walking with him and he's swaying. And the only way I can put that in reference is my dear friend Frank, the one we used to have to take him out of his chair. You remember how he used to be if you were ever there. He would, we would, we would put him in the little crank thing and bring him up out of his chair. And the whole time you do, he's like, be careful, be careful, make sure that he want, he was afraid of falling. And so these guys were close enough to him that he trusted them to pick up his mat and he's afraid. Be careful, guys. And they're trying not to swing him up against the walls and they're getting jostled in the crowd and they get there and they're so excited because they're going to get to where Jesus is. And as they come around the corner, all of a sudden they look and the house is already full and they're like, oh no, we're late. And we didn't come all this way for nothing. And then they go and they decide, you got to remember, we think about a, a roof like our roofs, but their roofs were flat so they could go up and, and sit on top of their roofs. And they thought, we'll go up on the roof and there's that little stair or that little ladder that goes down and we'll open that and we'll go in that way. And by the time they get up there, that stairwell is full. And they're standing there on top of the roof and they don't know what to do. And finally, the one of them says, we didn't come this far to turn back. He needs a miracle. And so the Bible says they start breaking through the roof. 
Now, could you imagine you're laying in bed and all of a sudden white stuff starts falling on your bed and you look up and you see an eyeball through a little hole in the roof. How many at that moment would be thankful for the Second Amendment? Come on, amen. But most of us would pick up the phone and call and we would say, police, come here. 911, help. I need somebody's breaking into my house through the roof. I know what I would say. My neighbor's not digging in my yard again. He's digging in my roof. Now imagine this moment for just a minute. Looking for somebody about the right size. Let me see here. You know what, Michael? You're perfect for this. Step out here for just a minute. Michael loves to be pulled up in front of everybody. All right. Now look, Michael's my friend. Michael's a good man. And he's a perfect example because Michael is about the size of the average Jewish man at that time. Okay? He's about the size of the average Jewish man. And so, if I wanted to stick Michael through a hole in the roof, if me and Danny, come on now, Pastor Michael, come on. We had decided we, we were all out fishing and we want to put him through the roof. Come on now. Todd's got the other corner. How big a hole do we have to make to get him into the house? How tall are you, Mike? He's about 5'9", so I need to dig a, about a length of the hole. It's going to be about 6 foot and about 3 foot wide. All right? So I'm going to let him down. Can, what would happen to your roof if somebody came and dug a hole six by three? Thank you, Mike. It wasn't a little hole. I know what I would be doing. I'd be sending somebody to jail. But they said, he's our friend, and no matter what it cost us, we're going to be a good enough friend to help him receive what he needs. So they're, they're anticipating. They're so excited. They have put their futures on the line. They've tore a six by three hole in the roof and they're letting him down through the roof. And as they're letting him, we don't know how they did it. And if they all had a corner and they're, they're reaching down or whatever they're doing, the houses were very small back then. And they're reaching down and letting him down through the roof. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops teaching, looks at him because he's right, right here. And Jesus, I just had this awkward moment of the paralyzed guy just going, eh. and Jesus going, your sins are forgiven. And walking away. They're going, but Lord, he still needs you. And Jesus was showing them he needs me to change his heart more than he needs me to change his body. Let me just tell you something. God put the people in your life, he put in your life to change your heart more than your circumstance. He put us together to help mold each other. Iron sharpens iron. We encourage each other. We're there to build each other up. And so Jesus looks at him and says, all right, your sins are forgiven you. And they're going, what? And then all the people in the room go, how dare he? And then Jesus says, okay, thought you were going there because he knows all things. And he says, which is easier for me to say unto him, your sins are forgiven, arise and walk. So that you will know that the Son of Man has the ability to forgive sins on the earth, has been given that authority. I will also say unto you, rise and walk so as an example of my true authority. And the man was instantly healed. Now here's what I want you to get from this today. And I'm going to go through this as fast as I can, but I think it's so important. The first thing was this. His friends had to be willing to carry 
the mat. They had to be willing to carry the mat, and there was nothing that wasn't personal about picking up that mat because that mat represented so much about him. You see, when you're going to serve God the way that God wants you to, and you're going to be in right relationship with people, you're going to have to be willing to embrace the awkward. You're going to have to meet them right where they are. If you're going to be a true friend to somebody, you've got to be willing to to see them in the condition that they're in and realize God put me in your life for a reason, not to condemn you nor to condone you, but to encourage you to find Jesus and to come closer to Jesus. And as you come closer to Jesus, everything's going to begin to change. And as everything begins to change, then you are going to see that the awkward can be changed by the presence of God. You go, what was awkward about this moment? Well, think about it. Many people are afraid and they stare when someone who is maybe in certain uh, physical condition goes out into public. They they back away from people. They don't know how to to embrace them. We found that here and yet our own sensory nurseries that, that many people said, I don't know how because they don't know how to step into a painful situation with people. They don't know how to help people that feel like they have nobody else to help them. And so they back away because they don't know how to embrace the awkward. But when you really love somebody just because that somebody has a fall from grace you don't back away from them instead you step up to the line and you help them when they're going through struggles a good friend resets their relationships and says who have I abandoned because it got too difficult you're preaching truth Who am I walking away from because it's easier to walk away? You know what? I had a friend who went to jail and he had a 48-year sentence. And and you know what happened? The only people who ever signed his guest log were his immediate family members. And I'll never forget the look on his face when he looked out one day and it was not his wife and children sitting there. But I was sitting there and he broke because he couldn't believe that somebody could still love him in the condition that he was in. Let me tell you something. God put you in people's lives for a reason. God put you in our lives for a reason. And God's looking for a church that will love one another the way we're supposed to. And no matter how awkward and how uncomfortable, God has sent us to rescue people in the middle of a dark world that need to see the hope of Christ. And the body of Christ must not be forgiven. I mean, forgotten when all of a sudden they they end up in a place where their family's falling apart or their lives are changing. They've lost their job. They're hurting or they get sick. We as the body of Christ should run to them and throw our arms around them and say, this This is how the world shall know who we are, by the way we love one another. Can you give God a praise? But here's the problem with that. What if the man had said, don't touch my mat? He would have stayed paralyzed. You have to be willing to let people see your vulnerabilities if you want to be healed from them. You see, your miracle may be on the other side of your vulnerability. All right, here's another one. You ready for this? Whose mat are you carrying? Who is in your life that it requires some work to be a good friend to? Who's in your life that you're having to take that awkward call, go that extra mile, take that next step? You see, God's called us to be good friends. Can I get an amen for that? And sometimes we have to understand that someone else's miracle is on the other side of your willingness to embrace the inconvenient and the awkward. 
Because true friends do the hard work. True friends are, there are some people in your life, it's just easy to be their friend. How many of you remember the easy teacher's names in school? Do you remember those? How many of you remember the teacher who challenged you? And because she challenged you, you grew under her tutelage. God hadn't called us to look for people who make us satisfied with where we are. God has called us to get around people who will challenge us to grow. Because friends change us. Can I get an amen for that? Because friends will determine the quality and the direction of your life. God wants you to put the right people in your life. If they're not on fire for God, then you need to find some on fire people for God and get around them and then go back to those friends and start growing them and pulling them forward. We want these easy ways to do things. We want, we want our friendships just to come easy. No. There is a thing called commitment to where we realize that God has connected our lives for a reason. And we must remain committed to each other. You know what you're going to have to do sometimes? It may be hard to be somebody's friend. I had the honor of becoming friends with the person I would have considered my worst enemy. And I threw my arms around them when everyone else was criticizing them. And I, took, I literally had death threats from as far as Texas. People said, you're standing with that person. And they didn't understand I was trying to fulfill the law of Christ that said, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, you go to them and restore them and prevent an epidemic in the community. And God changed my life more than He changed theirs. You see, sometimes it's not going to be easy, but God's looking for people who are willing to grab somebody's mat and get them in the presence of God. And now those people are restored for the glory of God. You see, how do you reset your existing relationships. The very first thing that you're going to have to do, watch this, is you're going to have to uh, practice forgiveness. You're going to have to practice forgiveness. You're going to have to learn those words, I'm sorry, and you're forgiven. Not easy, but necessary. Now, most of us know if we've wronged somebody, and we know we need to make it right, but let me just tell you from my life an example just briefly. A few months ago, I was having a conversation with one pastor that led to another conversation about a conversation I'd had with one of our pastors. And this is how it went, and it, it actually really amazed me the circle that went on because of forgiveness. That I looked at one of our staff pastors at actually one of our other campuses, and I said to him, I said, have I ever hurt you? And I mean, with all my heart, I expected their answer to be no, pastor. I was trying to prove a point. And they said, yes. And I said, excuse me? Because I'm about to now. No, I'm just playing. Amen. <laughs> I said, what? And they said, yeah, you hurt me, but you didn't even know it. I said, what do you mean I didn't know it? And it, this is how simple it was. It was so simple. When we launched our church in that community, a friend of mine for 30-something years launched one at the exact same time. And, and so we, we were talking, and, and it was really awkward because I mean, we're talking like, we've been friends since I was like nine years old, you know? And, and, and I looked at him, and I said, that's all I said. I said, hey, man, if I'd known you were going to be in this community, we would have not started here. What I meant was we would have started 10, 15 miles down the road. But what the dear brother on our team heard 
was I love you more than I love him, I would have helped you and not you. And that wasn't my heart. But he said to me, he said, Pastor, he, he said, Pastor, I know you didn't even mean anything bad by it, but it cut me deep and I had to decide if my relationship with you was worth it. And I'm thinking, man, I could defend myself right now because I really meant we would just, we would go down, you know, 10 miles the other direction, not two miles apart. And I, I could have tried to explain it, but I, I used a powerful word. I said, or a powerful phrase. I said, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? And he said, Pastor, I forgave you then because you, you didn't do it on purpose. I said, no, 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 no. I need you to hear me say, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? Because I don't even want there to be something there that was unintentional. And so as I'm telling the story to this other pastor, he, I, didn't think he, I, didn't, I was just telling him about what God was doing to show me some things in my life that sometimes there's things in your life that need to be made right even when you don't know they need to be made right. And he said, well, pastor, I've ever hurt you. And then it reminded me of 15 years ago when he was mad at somebody and he criticized their church and what he said critical about their church described ours to a T. And it had cut me deep. And I said, man, yeah, you have. I don't know how far that conversation is going to go. And he looked at me and he said, can you forgive me? And I said, I already have. You didn't mean to, but you did. I'm telling you these stories to, to show you a vulnerability because we love each other and to tell you that we don't mean to hurt each other. But sometimes we do. You don't mean to hurt your spouse. I mean, if you do mean to hurt your spouse, then you really need some altar time. But sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't mean to hurt people. So if you really want to reset relationships, you have to look at them and you have to say, I'm sorry, sometimes. Can you forgive me? And then you redefine how to move forward together. Because God has given us each other. And another thing you need to really do is you need to give the eulogy over your friends' lives now not at the end. You know how it is. Everybody always says the best things about people when they die. You know, the guy can be like, he can be like, he could cut your throat, but on the day he dies, he's a saint. Reminds me of it. This actually happened. My dad snuck into a funeral coming to Georgia and he walked into the funeral. The man was known to be, a, he was a thief. He was a drunkard. He was a, abused his wives. I mean, he was just, just, just horrible past. This man was known all these things and the preacher was up there preaching about what a wonderful man he was. And my dad had snuck into the funeral and as he sat down in the funeral, he actually sat down right beside the man's ex-wife and, and, and for 10 minutes, the pastor was talking about what a generous, kind, loving father and husband this man was. And he was just pouring out this eulogy over him. And all of a sudden, my dad said it was like a concrete vice locked down on his arm and he looked over the ex-wife of that that man looked at him right in the eyes and she said preacher can you help me and he said well, what can I do for you she said I think I'm in the wrong funeral there's no way what they're saying about that man is my ex-husband will you go see listen to me don't let people have to fake words over you in the end start getting right with people now so they speak good words over you now. 
That's today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at War Hill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 8.15, 9.30, and 11 a.m., where you will find real love now. Thank you.